And think about it. None of them have a great voice. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I was up there in my office praying for him, James. <laughs> and I said, Lord, it is true. You will use anything. <laughs> and, and yet, I praise God for it because... They're going to be there in that service all day long, opening it up, serving them. And other churches have asked them to come. Other groups have asked them to come and sing and so forth. And, and yet, the thing that stands out is simply this. Their dedication and faithfulness. That's all. That's all. Hey, God said he searched for a man. That he could just use. He didn't search for greatness. He searched for a person that he could use. And guess what? He's just using them. Then I think I was praying for Pearl and Walter this morning. And I was saying, Lord, thank you. For what Walter was sharing with me yesterday and then Pearl and so forth. And how God's using them. And you know something? It's okay to be used outside your four walls. It really is. It is a blessing when God can take ordinary people and do extraordinary things. It's a blessing. And the church shouldn't hold on so tight based on this fact. They're not mine. (laughs) They're the Lord's. To be used of Him. Hey. And they're out there today just glorifying His name. And I, was, and, and I was just praying for them, Lord, let them uplift your name. Hey. Let them uplift your name. And we never know the effects. We never know, as Pro and Walter keep journeying in their marriage thing, that how they're going to affect the lives of other young people. We never know. Hey. And every one of you sitting here have a ministry. And guess what? You don't really have to have a degree to minister. But you do have to have a heart. Amen? And I pray God just launch every one of us into some type of ministry. And we do it for him. So let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the great work that you're doing. And Lord, we're so thankful that Lord, as the mustard seed that is the smallest of all, yet can grow into one of the largest trees, if not one of the biggest. And Father, we just want to thank you that you continue, Lord, to keep our doors open. You continue to bless us. You continue to do a work that only you can do. And Lord, we continue to pray that we'll see your mighty hand work through this church. That Lord is not about a pastor, not about elders, is not about anybody great in this church, but you. You are the one we come to see. You're the one we come to hear. You're the one in whom we labor for. You are the one, O oh Lord, in whom we serve. And you're the one in whom we hold up high. For it is your name only, Lord Jesus, that matters.
For every knee and every tongue shall confess that you truly are King of kings and Lord of lords. And that you are above all. For there is no other name that is given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved than that name of Jesus. And there's no sweeter name we know than the name of Jesus. And Lord, we pray as your people that we would hold your banner up. That we would glorify you. That we would honor you. And Lord, we know at times we falter. But you said the righteous man should fall seven times, but seven times shall he arise. And Lord, we thank you that we have a mediator in Jesus Christ. One who pleads our case. And Lord, when we sin, oh God, give us the wisdom to repent. And give us the wisdom to wash ourselves anew and afresh in the blood of Christ. And the knowledge to understand we are forgiven. And we can get back in the race and run anew. Lord, thank you for ministering to us. And as we sit at your feet this morning, may you speak to us. May you help us, O oh God, to overcome all the stumbling blocks that the enemy placed before us. May you help us, Lord, to fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And may we truly understand, Lord, there is really no service that we render to you that you really have to have. For the God that we serve is an all-sufficient God. You need nothing outside of yourself. But the reason we serve is to honor you and to see your mighty hand work through us. Bless us, I pray, Father. In maturing us, that you might use us mightily. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to continue on with this little area of church and salvation. And it's that area that you can't separate. Many people today think, okay, I'm saved. I'm going to go to church and find me a comfortable seat around a couple of people who I'm comfortable with and that's where I'm going to spend my life at. Not understanding God saved you for a purpose and that is to serve Him And then he gifted you with spiritual gifts, knowing that you could not serve him unless you are empowered by the Holy Spirit with gifts to serve him. And then 
He allows you to mature some, and then He places you where He wants you to be in order that you might serve. The challenge that you and I face often is this. Am I willing? Am I willing? Am I willing to pour myself out into the Lord? Am I willing to really give myself up for the Lord? Am I willing to do what Scripture says? To die to self. And that's a difficult one for us because we struggle with that. Because we don't want to die to self. It's amazing sometimes when I talk to people about finances at my office, and one of the things I finally get to is, where are you going to leave whatever you have? Who will you leave it with? And the first thing that always come out is this, my children. So then my next question is, are your children deserving of what you're going to leave? Do they serve God? Or do they serve the God of this world? And if you say, well, they're not really Christians yet, or this or that, then we go into the, into the discussion of being a steward. And if you are a steward, you don't have the right of just leaving what you have into the hands of the children of Satan, even though they're your own children. And oftentimes we don't want to think of our children that way. But it's a reality. So the issue is this. If I'm a steward of God's money, God's things that he has blessed me with, should I leave them over here in Christians' hands, or do I leave it over here into those who are against all that God stands for? Boy, that's a hard one. Because, see, these are my children. But you're telling me you're a Christian, you're a steward, and all these things you possess, God has blessed you with. So where do you leave them? See, when our hearts are divided... The thing that really indicates that is where we leave our wealth and where we put it at. And where we put it at. Will it be used to further the name of Jesus? Or is it used to enjoy the pleasures of this world for a little bit? Reaching outward is always costly. Reaching people is always costly. Understanding that church and salvation goes together with reaching out to other people. It goes with, if we use the word evangelism, it goes with that. But it goes with the idea of you are willing to go. And we're going to talk about that some. 
If we as a church are to be taken seriously, our desire to reach people for Jesus, it must begin by being believable first to ourselves. We have to believe that people are separated from God and we want to reach them. By any means, we want to reach them. That somehow we want to touch their lives. That somehow we want to have opportunity to teach them and share with them. See, the Lord didn't tell us to go and save people. He told us to go and teach people. And we're going to talk about that from Matthew 28 and Mark 16. But see, we first ourselves have to believe that God has called us together as a church and as a group. And as Ecclesiastes talks about, Two are better than one, based on the fact that if one fall, there's somebody else there to do what? Help them get up. That's the real purpose of the church, and that's why the church is oftentimes referred to as the body, because there's more than just one. That whatever we do, we're in a sense doing it together. That's the whole issue about a family. It's not just the mother... But it's the father and mother that is a unit that is similar to the body. And we all as a family pitch in that even when the children become a certain age, they can take the trash out. They're helping. When they become a certain age, they can wash them dishes. When they become a certain age, they can clean up their room. And see, boy, the great part for me was when they became an age and they could work and they could put some money in my hand for rent. Because you don't stay nowhere free. Even though they got it back when they left. But they had to learn a principle. You stay nowhere free. But it has to start with us. Understanding this, you will only practice what you truly believe. You will only practice what you truly believe. And if you don't believe people are lost, you won't practice going after them. If you don't believe people are lost, you won't take time to talk to them. You only practice what you truly believe. And it's like the old teacher says, we keep teaching the same thing until we see you demonstrate it. There's no use going on if you're not doing what? A, B, and C. There's no use going to the other part of the alphabet until you know A, B, C, D, E, that much of it. Then we'll add some more of it, but you got to know this part first. And we have to believe it ourselves. And then we export it out to others. But what you believe, you do share it with others. 
If you believe you make the best pound cake, you will share it with others. If you believe if you make the best eggs and suck, you will share it with others. If you believe you have a technique in working that helps you to make work a little bit easier, but yet getting it done faster, you'll share it with others. It's when we believe it ourselves that we really begin to share it. Secondly, we must ask, how successful have we been in teaching the Bible to adults? In such a way that they believe the word of God to be true. To the extent, and this is the evidence now, of the teaching process. To the extent that it influences their behavior. Show me anybody in the Bible who Christ really met and who really believed in Jesus Christ that their behavior didn't change. Pick out anybody in the Bible and show me that if they really had an encounter with Jesus Christ, that their behavior didn't change. Not talking about behavior modification. Not talking about following a law. See, our behavior changes many times based on following the law that is outside. If I put you in a factory and the rules of the factory say this, this, and this, you will follow those, and that's an outward conformity. Because the moment you leave that place and you go higher in somewhere else and their rules say this, this, and this, guess what happens? Your behavior changes to meet those conditions. But see, inwardly, when your behavior changed from inwardly, I don't care where you go, it remains what? The same. Your behavior, your attitude remains the same. It's not based on your environment per se. It is, it is based on what has happened to you on the inside that comes to the outside that portrays Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus could say to them, yes, you did all these things, you did this, and you can say, Lord, Lord, but he says, I know you're not. Why? It's all outwardly. It's an external thing. And that's why in Christianity we have what is called that thing that people can act like Christians, but they are not what? Christians. And oftentimes what we label that is people are religious. Now, to really look at the success, you have to ask yourself, when you're teaching, are you changing the attitude, the thoughts, the behavior of an individual? If you're not changing the behavior all you're doing is passing information through. But if the information stops and the person studies it, 
and the person examines it and says, this is important to my life. Now you will see a change take place. That's why James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, because see, we can be hearers of the word, but we're not what? Doers of the word. And what God is looking for is people who are willing to be doers of the word after they've been taught what the word says. And when you become a doer of the word, I guarantee you, your life will look different than what it looked before because before you didn't have knowledge of the Word and therefore you were only living after your own philosophy, after your own principles, after your own standards. But when you take in account of the Word of God in your mind, dropping down into your heart and then penetrating out of you, your life is going to look different than what it did before, which applies then to 2 Corinthians 5.17, that if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. He's a new creature, not because he just wished it to be, not just because he follows some rules, but because of something that is happening in him. And he says, behold, old things are doing what? Passing away, and all things are what? Becoming new, because it's a new lifestyle, new behavior, new attitude, new knowledge. And the Lord says, I have to renew their mind. Why? You, we all been taught very well by Satan from the time we were born to the time we meet Christ. We've been taught by the God of this world. And now all that has to be undone. That we can be taught of the Holy Spirit and then live out the Christ life. And he simply says, we can see the influence of our teaching based on the behavior of people. And if people... Behavior don't change. They don't know Christ. Because God's word is powerful. And it will cut you. God's word will explode in your life. And God's word will deal with you up here. That you change how you think and how you function. Now, I want you to go meet Matthew 28. Just for a moment, look at that word go. But I want you to also put in your mind Ezra. Because remember, as we looked at Ezra last week, the thing that it said about Ezra is that the king let him go back to Jerusalem. And the king allowed him to take like a team with him. But the thing that's really pointed out about Ezra, he was two things, remember? A priest and a what? A teacher. You are two things. You are a priest, a servant, and you are a teacher. You are a priest, and you are a teacher. 
You are a royal household of God. You are his priest. He's called you. And then he's equipping you. Because see, the Levites didn't start working in the temple and teaching in the temple or doing the service that they were going to do the day that they were born. But they were in the process of learning up to age 20 or 25 before they were commissioned into where? Into the temple to serve. But all those other years were preparation years. They were being prepared to serve. When a new believer comes in, the first thing is to prepare him to serve. The moment he accepts Christ, he becomes a priest. He's a Levite like. moment he's born... When he's born again, he's a priest. But he's not a teacher yet. For the teaching part is going to be trained. He's going to learn to teach. He's going to learn how to serve and minister to people. So with Ezra, it says he was a priest and teacher, a priest and a teacher. Now the thing about the priest, it didn't say that he was devoted as a priest, didn't say that he studied the priesthood, but what it did say, he really did. He was a devout learner in learning the law of Moses. And they kept emphasizing he was a teacher, a teacher devoted to it. In Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, the th- the first thing that it said is basically go. So when he comes down here, he says, "Therefore go." Now you have to, as they say, as you read the word "therefore," go back up. But the issue is here. He's saying go. Now in in going, he didn't give any specific direction of going. Go east, go west. Remember that old saying, go west, young man, go west, young man. Well, he's not giving any specific go. What he is basically saying is this. In your permanency of right here, you're not going to be effective at all. Nor are you being obedient by being right here. You have to be willing to go. And in your going, you're going to discover the ministries that God has for you. But you first got to have a mindset of going. Going. Because if you're not willing to go, nothing's going to happen. You have to make it up in your mind. You're willing to at least go, step out into areas you never Stepped out into before. Could you imagine Peter them? Most of them never went too far from where they were born. And now God is saying, going through all the world. Hey Lord, I don't know none but these little back streets of Jerusalem and Judah. I don't know nowhere else. There are people here in Akron that never left North Akron, South Akron. There's some folks in West Akron that don't. (laughs) Because we never went anywhere else. And the Lord's saying, what I want you to do is go. And in your going, I want you to observe 
In your going, I want you to see. In your going, I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. In your going, I'm going to show you where I want you to minister in the lives that you're going to touch. In the going process. The word go there in the Greek simply means to travel, depart, or take a journey. That you are departing from where you are. That you're leaving from where you are. And that you're taking a journey to somewhere else. In other words, you're doing something else. Because in the going, he doesn't tell us what really to do. But in the going, we discover what he wants us to do. That we're willing to first go. And then he says, make disciples. But I want to put another word there in front of disciples. If you take the word disciple, it's the same word for apprentice. Every apprentice has to have a master journeyman to teach him the trade. Everyone. He cannot teach himself the trade. It's a master journeyman that has to teach him. With a disciple, there has to be a master, a one who's doing the discipling. So what we read very quickly is make disciples, but what is not set before them, but is said later, is this, teaching. Because without the teaching, you can't make a disciple. Somebody has to give the instructions. You just don't go make a disciple. You have to teach a disciple. And then that disciple, in a sense, what you are doing, you're growing a disciple. You're growing a disciple. An apprentice is just like the one who teaches him. Whether it be an electrician, if you're watching an electrician, those who are over him that are teaching him, boy, he will basically do the same pattern. He'll follow some of the same steps. That's why in some of the areas of apprenticeship, you will have at least two or three different journeymen in your apprenticeship for that you don't get stuck or rooted just in one way of doing something, but you're learning it from other individuals also. And he says, now I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. But in the going, you're going to be teaching. In your going, in your everyday life, you're teaching people. Now, you don't have to stop and pause and say, oh, this is found in Ephesians 2.14 or Ephesians 2.2. No, you just state it. You just share it. What you're sharing now is just practical way of living life as a Christian. Now, they come back and ask you, where did you get that information? Who taught you that? Now, give them the book and the address. But what you want to learn how to do is just communicate the principles and standards of God. And if the fish bite, 
Now you have to have an opportunity to go the next step. And in the going, you just teach. By teaching, you're going to make disciples. Because that person who sees you as somebody wise or somebody smart, somebody educated, somebody who can help change my life, guess what? They come back. They come back. And they'll come back asking you about advice. Advice of what? Advice about everyday life. And that's where you start teaching at. And then from that teaching, you get to have the opportunity to share with them who taught you. Because see, as Ephesians says, we were once just like you. As Corinthians says, yes, we were all this way at one time and so forth. The difference is somebody taught us. And we believed. In Mark 16, he says the same thing. He tells them to go, but go to Mark with me. Because we're going to look at that just for a few moments. Because in Mark 16, in verse 14, we find something that takes place. In Matthew, he's telling the disciples to go, but we know the moment that Jesus died and he rose from the grave, the disciples did not go anywhere. We know, John tells us, that they were locked behind doors. And from the first time that Jesus appeared to them, he says that you're locked behind these doors because of fear. And guess what? We lock ourselves up because of what? Fear. In Mark 14, it speaks about a correction or a rebuke. And that's what a rebuke is, a correction. He says in that verse 14 in chapter 16, Later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of what? Yeah. The reason we don't teach and the reason we don't speak and the reason we don't engage is what? Fear. It's fear. Fear of what? We're a double-minded person at that point. And the question is, do I believe it or don't I believe it? Is the unction of the Holy Spirit upon me to share it? And I'm saying no. And the whole process is, oftentimes we're just fearful of sharing. And again, when I share, I don't have to be overbearing. I'm a Christian. Are you born again? If you're not born, you're going to hell. I don't have to be overbearing. I share with them this love story that God has given to us. And I share with them that God loves them. I don't have to be telling, you going to hell because you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. That's a reality. But first I want to have the opportunity to share with them to a point that they can either reject him or receive him. Now, if you receive him, man, you have eternal life. You're going to heaven. Man, if you reject him, you still have eternal life, but you're going to hell. 
And he says he rebuked them for their lack of faith. And the whole process, he says, and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, there were those who were sharing with them, but they still refused to what? Now, understand, we're going to have people like that in our lives. People who are going to refuse to what? Believe us. But because people refuse to believe us, doesn't mean we stop sharing our testimony. It doesn't mean that we stop sharing about Jesus Christ because people refuse to believe us. And he goes on, he says, he said to them, go! Again, he didn't explain to them where they are to go. (laughs) He's just saying, Go! Why? Because if you stay right where you are, you're not going to have any effect anywhere. Go. Go. And in your going, I will reveal what I want you to do. In your going, I'll open the doors and shut the doors. In your going... I'll make your path straight or crooked. In your going, I'll give you the people who I want you to speak to. In your going, I'll tell you when to stay two years or three years or one year with a person. I'll tell you. I'll direct. You go and let me direct you in your going. And when you check out John twenty nineteen. First week they're there, they're behind the doors. Why? Because of fear. Then in verse 26 it says again, a week later, they're still shut up behind the doors. And then, boy, when he comes back and see them again, they're at work in John 21, 4 and 14. And then over in Acts, he tells them, he gives them this directive, wait. And it says in Acts then, it was 40 days from the time that he rose from the grave. To the time in which he's telling them to wait for the Holy Spirit. You can't do anything. Let me share this with you. Look at me for a moment. Understand this. You can't do anything of the flesh that will bring glory to the name of Jesus. Not even witnessing for him. Because he didn't tell you to go in the power of the flesh. But when you go in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit uses and speaks through you, now people are going to hear, no matter if they say yay or nay, they've heard. They've heard. Too much work of church is being done out of duty or out of, this is my church. It has to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the power of flesh. And he tells them, wait until you are endued with power. Of the Holy Spirit. And after that happens, we see them going out. 
Now they're going. Now, the go, I want to illustrate this through Jesus Christ's life. If Jesus Christ equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, now I'm going to play a little bit with words and so forth. Go with me to John 3.17. John 3.17. And again, put in mind, Jesus Christ is just as powerful as anybody else among the Godhead. And in 3.17, he said, For God did not send his Son. And the word send, going. Go. You can't be sent without being what? Without you what? Going. Somebody can send you somewhere, but if you stay right where you are, you are not what? You're not going nowhere. Sometimes... I used to say to my kids, and I say to my grandkids, time to go. Need to move. Especially one of them. Sometimes two of them. I'm saying, time y'all to go home. I'm saying it the third time. Because, see, when I say it's time for you to go, or your mom and dad want you, I'm looking immediately for you to do what? Get up and go. Not sit there being relaxed. Not sit there watch TV. Not. I'm looking for the moment I say go for you to get up and start moving. Because as long as you're sitting still, you're not reacting to what I'm saying to you. And you're not doing what I want you to do. But you need to get up. Turn the TV off. Pick up your little plate and clean up behind yourself. And head on out the door. Now you're going. Hey, you're moving. Hey. And he says, when I sent him. Hey. And God sent him. You don't hear a big debate. For God did not send his son. You didn't hear a big debate issue. I'm just as equal as you guys. One of y'all go. I'm not going to go down there and put on that old flesh and have to hunger and thirst and be beaten. There was a willingness to do what? To go. Now, second thing. If he wouldn't have left heaven to come here, where would we be? If he would not have left his comfort, if he would not have left the joy of being around his Father and the Holy Spirit, where would we be? But even with Jesus Christ, there had to be a going in order to be effective. Now, in his going, Jesus meets a Matthew. Turn over to Luke 5. He meets Levi. 
or Matthew. But see, if you would have never left heaven, come to earth, and I met that guy called Levi or Matthew. And there's a few things we want to bring out of this process. He says in verse 27, After this, Jesus went. Went is what? Going. He's going somewhere. Now understand, in your going, God is the one who sets up divine appointments. You don't wake up in the morning and say, Hey, Lord, today I'd like to meet this guy called Harry who I've never met. Or I'd like to meet Alan who I've never met. Or I'd like to uh, be involved in this today. God asks you to be alert to his Holy Spirit for that when he speaks to you, that you will know who to speak to. And that somehow... God said, I want you to be observant. Be watchful in your going. How many of you, when you plan a trip, really plan your stops? Very few of us really plan our stop stops unless we're on a train and we have to pick it out in between time. But see, when I'm in the car, sometimes some other things cause me to stop and have to pull over. I wasn't planning that stop, but it's time to stop. Okay. Then there's times that, see, if my wife is with me, we eat by the clock. It's <laughs> not an issue if we're hungry or not. It's just dinner time, lunch time, breakfast time, <laughs> and we stop. And then there's times we're just traveling. And that traffic is so backed up that we have to what? Wasn't planning on that. Okay. And then there's times that, yes, anymore, I just got to stretch these legs because this one leg will begin to cramp on me and so forth. And I just got to get out, walk it off. Sometimes the hips I had set so long, I gotta get up, and sometimes you tell me real quick, straighten up. I can't straighten up. If I could straighten up, I would straighten up. <laughs> it takes a little bit to loosen everything up, you know. But I gotta get up and walk a little bit and move, you see. All those stops sometimes were not really planned. But I'm still going to my destination. I'm, I'm moving. And when you're going because you are a Christian, God plans to stop. He has rest stops along the road. He has people already planned who he wants you to talk to. He has a waitress that will come to your table that you may share with. God plans your life in that fashion. But at least you are what now? Going. And it says, when Jesus went, he's going. And in his going, he meets this guy called Levi sitting at his tax booth. Now, 
Jesus is very observant. Now, Jesus in his mind could have said, that's a dog. That's a dirty, filthy tax collector. He could have said, well, that's somebody taking advantage of my people. He was working for those Romans, those old Gentile folks. He's a traitor. He could have labeled him many different things. But he saw Matthew. He saw Levi. Now, I want to pose this question to you. Do you think other people were around there? Yes. But the Holy Spirit fixed his eyes on who? Levi, Matthew. If you allow the Holy Spirit and your friend, the Holy Spirit will fix your eyes. The Holy Spirit will cause the conversation to happen. But you have to be going with a purpose to serve the Lord. And there's Matthew. And after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector. He saw him. Now, let me bring this to you. The scripture says what he saw was a tax collector. Jesus doesn't put the word sinner on it. Sinner comes in when the Pharisees come in. And the Pharisees says, don't he know who he's spending time with? Tax collectors and sinners. One of the things that we as the church have lost the ability to do is to look for the real person. The Pharisees only saw a tax collector and a sinner. Jesus saw much more. When Jesus looks at people, he sees what is hidden behind all the facades that somehow we've put on to protect ourselves in this so-called mean world. He just saw a man making a living for his family. He didn't see so much a tax collector. He didn't see a sinner. He saw a man working. He saw a man who also needed God. And he saw a man labeled with many labels that people really couldn't see the who, the true person. And what we want to discover is the real person. Remember the movie, um, the football player, uh, Blindside? Remember how the husband described to him what he had to do with the wife? He has to pillar like an onion. (laughs) And sometimes in people's lives, you have to take the top layers off in order that you can see the real person. Because what you're really seeing is that little fearful child with all this facade up here, all this protection up here. And sometimes you say, why are they so mean? Why are they so this? Why are they so... There's a reason behind all that. When you see a woman flinch when you 
There's a reason behind that. When you get ready to embrace a woman, they kind of step back. There's a reason behind that. They take note of the little things that people do. Even with men. Sometimes we don't recognize when they're shaking our hands, they don't look at us this way. The head goes down. There's a reason for that. Take note of people for that you can begin to help remove the layers that you can get to the real person because that's who you want to witness to, the real person that is hidden behind the title text collector, who is hidden behind dogs or traitor, who is hidden behind that area of sinner. You want to get to the real person and minister to them. But it doesn't tell us how much time Jesus really spent with Matthew before Matthew says, Hey, Jesus, we've been hanging out for a while. We've been kicking it. We've been going out for coffee and we've just been talking and we, we've been developing this friendship. How about come on over to my house for a banquet? How about come on over to my house for dinner? Let me share something with you. Dinner table is like an operating table. When you are having people over for dinner and you're talking with them, it's surprising what all may come out. And it's just like an operating table. As a Christian, you're going to operate some. You're going to hear and you're going to share Christ and you're going to share Scripture. You're going to share the way life should be rather than the way life really is. It's an operating table at dinner. And at dinner time, it's an opportune time for a lot of healing to take place. In the family, why there's not too much dinner time for families anymore? Because no one wants to take time to heal and hear all the complaints of what's going on in that day in their life. They don't want to hear the sorrows that are taking place in people's life. So we all eat at different times. But when you sit down at dinner and you ask, well, what's going on? Now it can come out. Now wisdom can be put in. Knowledge can be put in. Healing can take place. Have you ever tried to feed a baby that's trying to throw up? (laughs) But if you let the baby do what? The baby's ready to what? (laughs) Eat. And sometimes we got to help people throw it up. Get it out, for we can feed them. Hey. And Matthew invites him over for dinner. And guess what? Jesus goes. Jesus goes. And Levi, he invites his friends. Why? That's who he hangs out with. He don't have much choice. He don't have much other company. That's who he can... Hang out with. 
If you're a smoker, those are the folks you hang out with. And really, you don't have a whole lot of choice because other people don't accept you to them. Don't too many other people come into your environment. But here comes Jesus to dinner. And he's coming to dinner, as the Pharisees would say, with those tax collectors and sinners. And he called himself a holy man. He called himself a man of God, a person of God. And he's with them folks. And guess what? The disciples were there. Now the disciples were not teaching, but the disciples were learning. How were they learning? Through observation. They were learning by watching Jesus. Deal with who? Deal with people who normally they themselves, before they became acquainted with Jesus, would not sit down or step into their house. And it says, boy, and Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. A large crowd. Doesn't say anything about sinner, but it describes, is labeled the tax collectors. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples. So there's his disciples right there with him. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now they're called sinners. Why do they eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So, he's right there with them. What was one of the things they had need of? Somebody who would accept them from the outside. That was a need of theirs. That they could be seen as a human being and spoken to as a human being. And not referred to as a tax collector, as, as a betrayer, or, or as a sinner, or, 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 or something belittling them. But as a human being. But as a human being. Now, the disciples recognized what the Pharisees were saying. But understand this. And this is something you and I have to understand. We're not blind, nor are we ignorant of the people we hang out with. We understand because of what Scripture says. That bad company can corrupt what? So I don't hang out too long. But I hang out based on the effect that I'm having little at a time. And the whole process is simply this. I'm always saying to myself, greater is he who is in me than he that is in them. 
greater is he that's in me than those that are in him. When I say those demonic forces in them. And understanding, if God be for me, who can really be what? Yeah, who can fight against me? See? And he's not ignorant of who he's sitting down to dinner with. He knows who he's sitting with. He knows he's with people who are immoral. He knows he's sitting with people that cuss a lot. He knows he's sitting with people who commit adultery and so forth. He knows who he's sitting with and eating with. But they are the ones that are hurting. They are the ones who need him. Now what is it that Jesus really do? He loved and welcomed them into his life. Understand that. Matthew or Levi invited him to his house. But when Jesus accepted, he's also inviting Matthew into his life. Because see, when Jesus go, guess what? He's not going to go act like Matthew. He's going to go act like himself. And if that's different, that's different. And hopefully, as I live out my Christian life and I live out being who I am, that people want to what? Come this way. So he's inviting them also into a different lifestyle. Secondly, he offers them refuge. What kind of refuge? There's a difference when you can look at people this way. When you go, that's a whole different sign. When whatever they say has no importance. Always understand something. When people speak, even though they speak in ignorance, it's important to them. When people speak who don't have knowledge, understand. That's all the knowledge they have, but it's important to them. And if you scorn their knowledge, or you scorn them, boy, you just lost the ability to do this. And Jesus made it safe for them. I imagine there was all type of conversations going on around that table. But yet, I believe Jesus made it safe for them. And I imagine Jesus may have said to some of them, have you ever considered this? He didn't just, no, you're wrong. Have you ever thought about it this way? Have you ever seen it in this light? You know, I read so-and-so, and he gave his opinion in this manner. There's a way of opening that discussion up without shutting it down from the very beginning. And you want to be able to open that discussion 
rather than shut it down. And he's at this dinner table. And I imagine he's hearing things about the Romans. He's hearing things about the Pharisees. He's hearing the thing about those Jewish brothers who don't love them. I imagine he's hearing a lot of things. Where they can go, where they can't go. The hurt that they have. And the thing is, how does he engage them? How does he minister to them? And one of the first things you want to understand about people, they need a safe place to communicate. They need a safe place to share their story. They need a safe place to talk about their hurts. They need a safe place to be able to say what's been done to them. They need a safe place. And as Christians, we ought to make that safe place for them. Thirdly, Jesus is going after the real person we spoke about earlier. He's not going after what others have labeled. He's going after the real person. The one hidden behind the tax collector's title. The one that's hidden behind the sinner's title. He's going after that person who is wonderfully made by God. And who's made in the image of God. He's not going after just what he sees. He's going deeper. Now, how many of you study the needs of your community? See, without studying the needs of the community, without studying the needs of people, you really don't know how to serve people. Now, let's get this out the air real quick. Everybody knows everybody needs who? Jesus. Now beyond that, what are the other needs? The needs that are given, that you've been given gifts through the Holy Spirit to minister to those individuals who have that need. And that's what you have to be observant of. What are the needs of your community? What are the needs that are taking place? Why is it that Satan is destroying so many people? And one of the reasons that God said, because, boy, they lack knowledge. The other reason is they lack love. I come up with that one. Is that 1 Corinthians 13. For love conquers what? All things. What's another need? Loneliness. That's what's happening to Matthew them. They're not fully integrated into the community because of what they do. So they're lonely. They can only be with each other. Understand this. A drug addict is lonely. (laughs) Why? Eventually he's all by himself. Not even his own drug friends We'll trust him anymore. He's lonely. An alcoholic is lonely. With certain sins, people become lonely. And what they're looking for is somebody who would wrap them in their arms and love them. 
the thing with the need is this here. It's to observe people around us and to know what the need really is. There's a lot of need out here for father images because so many children grow up without who? Fathers. They don't have that example. They don't need a hero. They need a father image. There are so many young women that don't know how to be a woman. Don't know how to appropriately dress. Don't know how to really handle themselves. Men likewise don't know how to dress. Don't know how to do. Because they never had a father image that really trained them. So you wind up doing what you want to do. And a lot of times it hurts. The thing that you want to look for is simply this. Think about what is important to them and how might the message of Jesus then intersects with their need. What you're sharing with them, how does that cross over and meet their need? See, you're telling somebody and you're recognizing somebody just needs to be loved. Well, what we need to understand is how to teach that love. And it starts with, boy, understand, God loves you. But he wants to go further than that. He wants to teach you to love other people. And therefore, when you are loving other people, what's happening to you? You are being loved by other people. Oh, teach to be kind. I ain't letting them folks take advantage of me. You give them an inch and they'll take a mile. Well, you do it with Jesus. But see, when you show kindness, kindness is going to come back to you. That's why the scripture says, even to this point, give. Why? You can't outgive God. Okay. And when you're giving, you're acting more like God than any other time because God gave. And when you're giving, you're teaching other people to give, not only to receive, because eventually, if you keep giving and keep teaching, they themselves are going to be what? Hopefully, Givers. And it's that process of knowing in your community what are the services, what are the needs. And believe it or not, I was explaining to the insurance man why I can only go this far on the cost of insurance. When you study the income in this area now, Compared to what it was 25 years ago or 20 years ago, it has really plummeted. There's no use me buying an insurance package that I can't afford to pay for. And we're going through that whole process. 
that as a church I only have really two options, work within the budget or move the church and try to do something else. Our community, whether good or bad, is our target because this is where God has planted us. It's our target. The people in this community is our target. The people in West Akron is our target. The people of Akron is our target. And we need to know what their needs are in order to make the church relevant for them. Or if not, the church isn't relevant. The church really has no purpose because the church has no effect in my life. The church doesn't improve my life. And some people will argue the issue, oh, you're improving people to go to hell. No, I'm improving people to work in the kingdom of God. God doesn't need somebody sitting in church who can't read. God doesn't need people sitting in church who can't add up some numbers. God doesn't need people sitting in church who are totally ignorant and have no understanding. As much as we may hate to say it, God uses intelligence. Wester defines target in this manner as one to be influenced or changed. One to be influenced or changed by an action or event. Therefore, we target our community to manage the perception. Understand that now. The perception. You want to manage the perception. The worst thing you can do as a Christian or as somebody is to say, I'm just going to really be me. This is who I am. No. Because, see, people have a perception of you. You may not like that. But the moment Yancey walks into B&W, they have a perception. The moment Brother Beecher walked in to Goodrich, they had a perception. The moment you walk into any place, people perceive you. Walter was sharing with me that the men were commenting on how he dressed at the work. And many of the young men who was going through training with him, who had their pants down here, have pulled their pants up. Even to the point supervisor recognized it. And the one young man commented on him how he dressed and how he, how you present yourself. You may not think it's important. It's almost everything. What people see out here goes into their mind and everything else you can dispel and they won't count it. Because of the perception. The same thing is about a church. The things the church does sets forth a perception into the minds of the people. It's not about what we teach because they haven't got that far yet. It's not about this or that of what the church. 
is what we do that they perceive, and the perception is this, how does it help me? The restaurants you go to, that's the first thing you ask. How much am I going to get? Do I really like the food? (laughs) It's all perception. Wouldn't it be nice if what you saw in the menu of the picture of the food, you really got that? (laughs) But you order off the perception that they give you in a picture. Remember, you are just a picture in people's minds. That they're looking at. And we then, we influence, but we manage the perception of a person or a group. You want to manage how people think about you. You want to manage how people see you. And Paul simply says, Boy, I become all things to all people that I might win some. That I'm this and I'm that. And what Paul is saying is this. Everybody don't see the gospel the same. Everybody is seeing me a little different. And because they see me differently, I change. Now understand this principle. They don't change for you. You change for what? Yes. Because inside, hopefully, you know who you are in Christ. You know who you are in Christ. Let me share this. When I started in this group here, I had to make a lot of changes to fit into the role of what the Alliance said was a pastor. And see, we had to dress a certain way. And when you went to council, you and Nancy Lane, everybody had their briefcase. Like we had a million dollars in that briefcase. (laughs) But there was that expectation of what an alliance pastor would be like. And that professionalism was expected and also demanded. And he says, Paul is saying that all people do not see it the same. And therefore we become different in many different ways. And you and I, we have to change. Sometime in church life, We don't want to change. But we have to change because church is not the same as it was after World War II. There's the change that's going to take place. 